When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Lottery Marathon winner is Sarah Childs Frank of Hatesville, Maryland. Sarah will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Tara Ariano, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it, Lionel. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Law & Order Season 20, Episode 4, Reality Bites. All right, so someone's lying. Is it the husband or the septum mom? I'm liking the husband. His wife didn't want to do the show. He was trying to convince her. I don't know. The Septo Mom's brought so many extra people into this world, she might feel entitled to take one out. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. You forgot my favorite credential. Which Bouncy gringo is my favorite credential. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Rounding out the panel is our special guest from the Extra Hot Great podcast, and a million things that we love. It's Tara Ariano. Hi, Tara. Hello. You were our very first guest on These Are Their Stories on September 13th, 2016. Wow. Wow. Did your career take off after that? (laughs) (laughs) My whole life is different, yes. (laughs) (laughs) On SVU this season, they've got uh, Warner, Barba, Annabelle Sciorra is back as uh, Barrick from Criminal Intent. And, of course, they've got Chris Maloney as Stabler and uh, his whole new show. Is this like going to a concert where we're like, yeah, the new stuff's good, but play the hits? I don't watch it anymore. Oh! <laughs> uh, I stopped watching a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, it's, what was the precipitating event that made you stop watching? Was it was it Olivia's kidnapping by Lewis or something like that? <laughs> no, I don't really watch cop shows anymore because because of the copaganda of it all. Mm. Like it just in, in about 2018, around the the the, the end of whatever that season was. Um, I just thought, I don't need to do this anymore. It f- makes me feel gross. <laughs> so I stopped. Um, so this is the first time I've revisited the Law & Order. I mean, Sarah had made a presentation for, uh, I'm sure, past guest of this podcast, Sarah Bunting, who is our co-host on Extra Hot Great. She presented the infamous, is this because I'm a lesbian episode of original <laughs> Labor Law & Order for our canon this year? Is this because I'm a lesbian? And this is the first time I've watched Law & Order since then. Wow. Uh, and before before that Serena episode, it had been a long, long time. And I used to watch it every day. Like, whatever. I knew every channel 
every cable channel that had a marathon, whatever day it was, I knew if it was Ion or Sundance or we, <laughs> I would just have it on all day. And then it just came a point where I just couldn't, I just could not do it anymore. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I have no comments on SVU this season. Sorry. Tara, you'll be happy to hear that SVU this season spent approximately one third of one episode addressing race and George Floyd. And now it's all fixed in that universe. Oh, great. Everything's fine. Everything's good. good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And we don't know how woke uh, the new Chris Maloney is going to be. Not going to be woke. But you can definitely you, de- you can definitely bet that Munch, wherever he is, is totally into QAnon. <laughs> That's for sure. All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order Season 20, Episode 4, Reality Bites. Scene opens, interior of a multi-passenger van. We see Larry Johnson and 9 of 10 of his children with special needs pull up in front of their brownstone. He goes inside to get his wife, Joy, and finds her dead on the floor. She's been bludgeoned with a Special Olympics trophy. I left work at 3 to pick up the kids. On Thursdays, we put the young ones in daycare so my wife can have a few hours off. Was anything missing from the house? I kept some money, maybe $8,000 in the desk for emergency. A neighbor told the responding officers that he saw a bouncy Hispanic woman leaving the house around noon. Bouncy? What does that even mean? (laughs) And that's when Tim, Larry's oldest boy, shows up with blood on his hands. Tim, who has autism, says he left school early and found his adopted mother on the floor. When pressed on why he got in trouble for throwing pencils in class, Tim just says, Okay, I did it. (laughs) And so ends another four-minute episode of Law & Order. (laughs) But kindly and cancer-ridden Van Buren gets Tim to admit that he only said that because he didn't want Dad to know that DJ stole his fanny pack. Or as DJ called it, Tim's gay-ass fanny pack, (laughs) which contained the key to the house. DJ's mom says she was there when Joy got an angry phone call from someone. Lupo and Bernard visit Belinda Alvarez, a wacky single mom raising 10 kids all her own. Both she and the Johnsons were finalists for a reality show about non-traditional families. Belinda says she visited Joy, who said she didn't want to do the show, so it was going to be Belinda's. But when the detectives returned to the brownstone... They find Larry's already begun shooting the reality show. Artie, the TV producer, says Joy was reluctant, but the day after the murder, he got the signed contract from Larry. Larry's accountant says his real estate business has been failing. Plus, he was seen leaving work at noon, not 3 o'clock, which blows his alibi for the day of the murder. Seems Larry's been fucking a babysitter, which is still so basic. <laughs> His shirt was in her laundry and it has specks of Joy's blood, which he explains away in a heartwarming story about his daughter and a grapefruit knife. But Lupo can't get over why Larry kept the kids in the van when he discovered Joy. After assembling all ten of the children, Agatha Christie style, the detectives learned the kids always rush inside first thing. I guess he just didn't want them to find the body. So, with cameras rolling... They arrest Larry. Oh, a lot going on. That's right. a lot. Uh, so in real life, uh, Lupo and Bernard would have just thrown Tim in jail, Brandon Dassey style, right? And been done with it? Yes. Now, if something bad happened, this would be a good time to tell us. I don't have anything to tell you. You could tell us why you were mad at school. Okay, I did it. I killed her. He confessed. Okay, good enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And instead, they use him to get a confession from another kid. I mean, I'll tell you, he becomes yeah. a very important part of this plot. But yes, in real life, uh, the lieutenant probably would not have been so kindly. And this would not have turned out well for poor Tim. 
This is why Tim left the crime scene. He said, Because the police always suspect the person who was close to the body or sometimes the boyfriend. Yeah, look, this guy's already a better detective than Cassidy, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, he his his dad, who's played by Jim Gaffigan, I forget if you said that part, he's he he says that Tim loves cop shows. So he's he's very eager to cooperate. And this is this is a, a device they use a lot on this show, which I love when they have a, a person who has learning differences, who is just like very into the cops and like super excited to to cooperate with them. Yeah, he's even like, well, this would be a really great day for him if his mother wasn't just killed. <laughs> he, he's loving this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually really liked him. I don't know. I, there's something about Tim that I found very heartwarming. I like that he has a fanny pack. He leans into it. He's not afraid to have a fanny pack. It's a bold fashion choice. I call him Little Gorin. <laughs> 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 That's actually very accurate. Yeah. Hey, we get to uh, meet Belinda, who's all like, what? You like me? Oh, I love her. Oh, you think I got personality? Love her. So you called Mrs. Johnson the other day. Just to lay out the facts. I explained to her that I'm much younger and prettier than she was, and that my personality will come across on TV. Don't you think? She describes her show uh, as, or would-be show, as John and Kate plus eight, but less depressing. <laughs> no truer words have ever been said, Tara. Yeah. It also really situates this episode in history. Mm. <laughs> Making the John and Kate reference. Wow. Was this post-scandal John and Kate or pre-scandal John and Kate? Oh, I don't know. That there's sort of a... I think it was post. You know why? Why? I remember that happening shortly after we got married. The John and Kate thing. The whole breakup. That they broke up? Yeah. Oh. So I'm wondering if it was like sort of during that... But for the record, I think the whole idea of John and Kate was pretty depressing before all that stuff happened. That's just for my sure. opinion. <laughs> we know that when they rip from the headlines that sometimes they don't stray too far from the source material. But mm-hmm. uh, Larry's uh, TV show was called Larry Plus 10. <laughs> yeah. This is this is one of their lazier grafts onto the headlines. They they didn't uh, they didn't stray too far. But yeah, when they meet Belinda, the other thing that situates it in history is that she name checks Nadia Suleiman. Right. Cuz she had been hoping for octuplets. She only ended up with septuplets mm. in addition yeah. to her, the triplets that she already had. Oh, but give her time because her, the next show is going to be Belinda plus 11. Yeah, I, I loved know, and- Belinda. Honestly, I found her extremely likable. If I were choosing between her and Jim Gaffigan's character in the show, I don't want to slight poor Jim Gaffigan himself, I'd pick her. She's funny. She's attractive. She enjoys learning new words. Very openly. <laughs> New words. <laughs> she does. She was ecstatic. I mean, she is just, what did she say later? She has like another vocabulary word. that she's not, I found her extremely charming. She's who I would have picked for the record. To quote Tara Ariano, we have a Hey, It's That Guy. Mm. Hey, it's that guy. We actually have a huge amount of Hey, It's That Guys and Hey, There's It's That Girls. There's a bunch. Yeah. If people are saying, how come this episode was three hours long? It was because Kevin had to name check a whole bunch of people. <laughs> uh, so our, hey, it's that guy. Who's playing dad of the year, Larry Johnson? Joy wouldn't say that. Joy wanted this show. <laughs> she wanted the world to see our beautiful children. That's Jim Gaffigan, future star of his own show about his own real life million kids. <laughs> yeah, he's been on Law & Order three times, and we have now officially covered all three huh. wow. by accident, except, you know, this one here. Trifecta. Six-time Grammy nominee, two-time Emmy winner. Uh, he really could get into this part because, as Tara mentioned, that he is the youngest of six siblings. 
His wife is one of nine siblings, and he has five kids. Hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine what that Zoom Christmas call was like? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he, um, until relatively recently, he and his wife lived in a two-bedroom apartment in the, Get the, in the West. Get the fuck out of here. In the... It wasn't in the West Village. It was like, but it was in Manhattan with all of their kids, like in bunk beds. And so he had a, he had a, they had a sitcom on TV land for a while. Yeah. And it was, it was, uh, (laughs) covered their lives. And he was like a really successful touring comedian. But Mm. even so, when you have five children and you live in Manhattan, like (laughs) that may be the best place that you can afford. If it was rent controlled, I mean, I get it. And they were Catholics, so that's why you have five kids. Yeah. You know what's weird about Jim Gaffigan? No. He's like weirdly always just Jim Gaffigan and also weirdly versatile at the same time. Like they have him playing three like very different parts. He's like a horrible villain in one. But it's Jim Gaffigan. It's not Mm -hmm. it's not like Morgan Freeman playing Morgan Freeman in every role. It's Jim Gaffigan, that's Jim Gaffigan. But I don't know. Do you think he's weirdly versatile too? I do. Yeah, for sure. He brings that. I mean, he's from Indiana in in real life and he brings that Midwestern like affability Mm. to these parts where you can see how he either is a real good guy or he's getting away with shit because he seems (laughs) like a good guy. (laughs) It's on on the nose. So who's playing Larry's attorney? What people did see, as the evidence will show, is another woman who desperately wanted to be on that show, leaving the Johnson house at the time of the murder. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, go for it. That's the way too young looking Marin Hinkle, I think is her so name. So beautiful. Stunning. Oh my God. She plays the marvelous Mrs. Maisel's mother. Yes, and Rose. Yeah, and what's incredible about her is that, I know this was made in 2009, but mm-hmm. I did the math. She was 43 during this episode, just like she's 24 years old. Oh, yeah. yeah. And in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she actually is old enough to be Rachel Brosnahan's mother, but they have to like make her look old because she is like the youngest looking 50 something person yeah. I have ever seen and looks not like she's had work done. That's just what she no. looks like. Incredible genes. Yeah. yeah. She's been nominated twice for an Emmy for that role. Uh, five to- five Law & Order Universe appearances. Five. Yeah. She's probably best known, though, as Judith Harper, John Cryer's ex-wife on Two and a Half Men. Never saw it. So, Sorry, John. Ha- hashtag Tiger Blood. Uh, so who's playing our octo-mom, Belinda Alvarez? She thought it was deleterious. Deleterious. I had to look it up, too. Like it would damage the kids. She didn't like it. They weren't going to do it. She, she, was, she was new to me. Yeah. That's Nina Lessandrello. She was Detective Tess uh, Sargis on uh, CW's Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Because I know Which that was watched. one everybody watched, right? <laughs> Look, she was involved in a paternity suit against Robert De Niro. <gasps> yeah, her mom claimed Far that, more interesting. Yeah, her mom claimed that Nina was his child. Oh, my. And, uh, but the case was thrown out in 1993 after some blood tests. So, uh, meet the parents? No, it wasn't him. (laughs) Who's playing Larry's accountant? Who's listed in the credits as Larry's accountant? (laughs) I I recognize her face, but I couldn't pull any of her credits. The rat lady? There was a rat. Where? Over there, and then it ran over there. Can you hand me that file? Yeah, that's Geneva Carr. Mm. Today, she is playing Mar- uh, Marissa Morgan on Bull hmm. on CBS. Okay. She's the one who's always talking in the earpiece, you know, Cyrano de Bergerac style. You don't watch Bull? What are you talking you about? You don't even know what channel CBS is on. <laughs> I so, don't. Yeah. 
Can you tell me the name of the actor playing TV producer Artie Kramer? The contract needed to be signed by both of them, right? Originally, sure. But after she died, it only needed his. Did Mrs. Johnson ever sign it? No, just Larry. I didn't get it back until after she was killed. That's Michael Showalter from the state. Mm. Yeah. And now a big director. That's right. Big director and actor he co-created and starred in uh, Search Party. Ah, love Search Party. And Mm -hmm. Wet Hot American Summer, which also featured... Chris Maloney. That's Come right. on. Yeah, you go. <laughs> Guys, I'm putting it down. You got to pick it up, you no, know? No, not doing it. How about that young actor playing Tim? Other kids pick on me. They move my things around and I have to put them back or they take my things even. That's Cola Scola, who's also the bad guy on Search Party in the yeah. episodes that just dropped. Are you yeah. kidding? No, she's not kidding. He's That's a grown a- up now and he's in Search Party? Oh. Uh, Sorry, Cole uses um, they, them pronouns. Though. Those are those are the pronouns that they Got are it. using. Uh, on stage, they played a lot of female characters. So Cole has a collection of 38 wigs, which they store in 7-Eleven donut boxes <laughs> under their bed. Like one does. Cole is very, very funny on the tragically just canceled At Home with Amy Sedaris. So mm. if you have HBO Max, please watch that because it's so good. <laughs> Who spotted the judge? Me, that's Dorothy Lyman. Your client's charged with murder, not healing lepers. Yes, two-time Emmy Award winner for Opal Gardner on All My Children. Mm. Rebecca, how could you totally miss that I one? I missed it, sorry. Uh, she's probably best known as Naomi Oates Harper for seven years on Mama's Family with mm-hmm. Vicki Lawrence. Hmm, was she wearing yeah. like a wig the whole time? I th- Probably. <laughs> like always a, a wig and always an off the shoulder, like elasticy. Oh, she was the sexy one. Yes. She was like the, uh, you know, the Jack A. Harry 227, exactly. but of that show, right? Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I wouldn't think it was put that way, but all right. <laughs> all right, last one. Who was playing the assistant medical examiner? Baron Vaughn. Yes. Oh, my God. Based on lividity and body temp, I put time of death between 12 and 2. Looks like a palm print in the blood over there. Rebecca, you have no idea who Baron Vaughn is, do you? Nope. Uh, Black comedian, he plays Sam Waterston's adopted son on Grace and Frankie. Hmm. Do you think they ever sat around at lunch and he goes, hey, you know, uh, I was on Law & Order too, you know? Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a quick scene where Anita Van Buren is checking her insurance coverage. Mm. (laughs) Paying bills, Lou. Checking our insurance plan, the lifetime cap. Is it enough? Well, if I'm cured in the next three months, is fine. Otherwise, I know where you can get a good deal on a used Toyota. We know she is being treated for cervical cancer. Uh, and other than her season-long lawsuit against the city for d- discrimination back in season seven, this is really the first time they have given her, the supporting character, a season-long dramatic arc to be all her own and to really kind of sink her teeth into and then they canceled the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, did all the time, did we want more AVB or? Yes. Yeah. Oh, she's like my favorite character in like the whole franchise. I love her. The question I have about this storyline is I always thought maybe I'm just misinformed that cops had awesome health insurance. Like that's the reason to be a cop to find out that you have some lifetime limits. so You can't even get cancer. What kind of insurance is that? It's terrible. Uh, well, I think this is before Obamacare. So, <laughs> Tara, what did, what did you think about this idea to give her uh, this storyline? I have to say I never liked it when we had season arcs for the for the characters. <laughs> I, I thought it was clumsy. I didn't think it was the strength of the show. I mean, to me, the reason that Law & Order works is because every episode is 
almost completely self-contained in that one season where like uh briscoe's daughter gets killed and mm-hmm. and uh what's her face is fighting her husband for custody and blah 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 like everyone had an arc it was like too much don't care it was clearly a failed experiment because they never did it again and yeah. th- until this one as you as you point out so i i don't think it's something that the show needed and i also didn't want to see her have cancer yeah. like yeah. that's a bummer same yeah, so we like them and we love the characters, but we want them to go home and stay there. Right, exactly. Okay. I, I, I mean, it's fine if you like someone comes in and is like gets a phone call like, "Oh, your kid needs you to go to your, their school or something." <laughs> like, have it just it, whatever happens can just exist in the episode. Beyond that, don't care. So I never really knew how erotic it must be to work with ten children with special needs in a New York brownstone. <laughs> <laughs> Looking over at the at the dad, like, oh yeah. It just kind of happened. Joey went to bed early. It was raining. Larry offered to drive you home. His wife was too busy with the kids to pay much attention to him. Listen, you know what she loved about him? What? He always wore blue, so he was built for TV because he knew about continuity, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Right. But the thing about her that's so funny is that like, she also deeply loved the mom. Now, you wouldn't believe this, but even though I'm messing around with her husband, I loved her a lot. I was really a little heart there, I thought. Maybe she was messing around with the mom, too. I mean, <laughs> let's be progressive. Joy was a saint. Joy was not messing around <laughs> yes. with anyone. And by the way, can I leave my bloody shirt here? <laughs> For yeah. you to wash? For you to wash. That's the whole thing. If he's leaving his clothes there so his wife won't know, that means she's also doing his laundry. In addition to being his babysitter to his 10 kids with special needs and having to do him. Like, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional labor in addition to actual labor. It's just emotional. (laughs) I thought we were supposed to think, based on how relatively nice that apartment was, that he was paying for it. Oh. Oh. Maybe. She's a kept woman? Hmm. It seemed like a very nice apartment for someone who's a babysitter. So even though they didn't get into it, I thought if he's a real estate developer, he is, at least when times were good, he could afford to keep her. Well, he was already paying her, so I think it's like, maybe it's assumed, right? It's like, right. how'd you like to go to the next level? Um, so this is a Bernard and Lupo uh, season, and I just want to quickly go around the horn and say, what do we think of these characters? I love them. You really like them? I love Lupo. Some people I, are like, well, if it's not Briscoe, I don't care. No, I feel like they had a lot of potential that we didn't get to see. And it's so funny because like, if you look at what they did after this this show especially anthony anderson like yeah he is i mean he is there's so much about him that is like tailor-made to be a cop on law and order the snappy one-liners the sort of like ability to eat a scene at the same time being subtle in a scene i don't know i really like lupo and bernard myself i know they're not for everybody but i'm a big fan we had them for two and a half seasons tara i mean uh did you think the audience liked them or Again, they just sort of like get junior varsity replacements for our real favorites. Yeah, I mean, I think people, I feel like people feel more fondly towards, at least the ones I know, toward Lupo because they like him, Jeremy Sisto from Clueless. Mm. <laughs> I think he has a lot of um, residual goodwill from that role, even though he was playing kind of a scumbag in that movie, that that people like him from that. But I, I think they were fine. I, I agree. I mean, two and a half seasons is a long time, but not in the Law and Order universe. Right. Like that's yeah. that's like a blip, you know, in the in the fullness of Law and Order it's like time. A cameo. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's it feels like nothing. So it's like I, I don't think people had a chance to really lock in on them. Right. You know, those aren't the years that got repeated ad nauseum on A&E. Like they came so long in the run. I don't think that we 
had enough time to uh, imprint on them, even though they've continued to be in reruns, obviously, on TNT and everywhere yeah. else. And it's only it's the only seasons you can get on uh, uh, Peacock. On Peacock, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I thought we were getting the whole thing, Dick Wolf. Take your billion dollars and run, you son <laughs> of a... It really is a bait and switch. It's it true. Boy. But we got all the criminal intent. Woo! <laughs> For how much they, like, touted Law & Order is finally coming to screaming, like, asterisk, asterisk, yeah. asterisk, like, not the seasons anyone really cares about that much. I mean, there's still good but anyway to answer your question i think they're fine I, it's 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 such a particular style of acting that i almost feel like you could plug anyone in yeah. <laughs> they would do a passable job like even someone spoofing a law and order style of acting is almost as good as the real thing so i i think they're fine i think they do a good job and that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. <laughs> and that's a wrap. I loved that line delivery. I love it. It was like, I felt, it felt very improv to me in a well, way that I like. Larry Johnson, you're under arrest for murder. That's a wrap. Well, let's talk about that scene, because this is important. Bernard and Lupo feel like the septomom isn't a credible witness because she also wanted that TV show. So, to find more credible witnesses, uh, they get all the kids around the table, and Tim, or I should say future Gorin. Okay, so on the day that your mother got hurt, what happened? I don't know. You do, Squirt. You're smart. I am smart. So tell the two detectives. Darnell started to unbuckle Amy, and Dad said, stop. He gets the children to say that Dad always lets the kids go in the house, except this one time. Hmm. And that's when they make the arrest? Yes. Because it's, I mean, it's not so much like the a defense attorney would destroy these children of right. course but the thing is oh wait a minute no blood no weapon no uh motive no he he got out of the van first a change in routine put the cuffs on him yes i thought that was silly i mean a and b it's really unethical to <laughs> you think <laughs> enlist yeah. this child who they've established is in high school so presumably he's under 18 like He's he's not your partner. Like this is not his job to to have him turn essentially against his own siblings to get this conf- not confession, but to get this you know interrogation done is kind of gross. And the fact that it never comes up again, like Larry's defense attorney never brings it up, like to try and get it thrown out, is crazy to me all of america got to see it on the tv show larry yeah. plus 10 fruit of the poisonous tree though right uh, well i it depends on whether they find that that's a i mean maybe a the, aunt, confession. the aunt say it was fine for him to just talk to I, them i have a question about that scene though because gaffigan walks in with his pizzas for everyone and um he totally sees they're right there but he like pretends he doesn't see them there and he's like what are you doing here after he makes his big pizza pronouncement like what was that was he just like mugging it up for the camera is that what's yes. going on okay. he's being a good reality show participant okay okay yeah i I don't know if my wife had been murdered and the homicide detectives were there i wouldn't be so incredulous (laughs) what are you doing here let me guess it has to do with my case (laughs) do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you truth finder has you covered you can search for people by name address phone number email and more Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Larry Johnson gets bailed to take care of the kids, but only if he stays off the TV show. 
Artie, the producer, remembers Connie Ruberosa from college, and he has a new idea for the show. <laughs> Cameras aren't allowed in the courtroom. So outside the court, DA doing prep, DA briefing us on developments. The DA telling you you're out of your mind. It's an opportunity to take your case to the public. Plus, I have tapes of Larry Johnson and his wife when they were being considered for the show, talking about whether or not to do it, and not always agreeing. Well, the video of Larry and Joy's disagreement was pretty weak. At trial, Belinda testifies Joy didn't want to do the program, and that's when the defense pulls out the audition tape of Belinda saying she'd kill to get on the show. (laughs) And then she makes the, don't fuck with me, because I might actually do that thing. (laughs) The defense asks Artie if... Maybe Johnson's delay in signing the contract was a ploy to get more money. He says, nope. He got a call from Larry's man accountant. Well, Connie makes a note on her pad. Larry's accountant wasn't a man accountant. It was a woman accountant. Or I guess we could just call it accountant. accountant? But in this case, it was actually important. (laughs) That's relevant. (laughs) Well, she asks Artie for that phone number, and they trace it back to a loan shark named Sammy Shiner. Cutter's waiting for Larry to testify that he didn't need the money just so he can subpoena that loan shark, but he leaves the country before they can get to him. How did he know he was going to be called? Well, the cameras picked up the notes on Connie's pad when he was talking to Artie. With the prosecution unable to really pin him down on a financial motive, the jury is deadlocked. Cutter and Ruberosa tell McCoy the reality show is changing to feature Larry and all of his kids and Belinda and all of her kids in a Long Island mansion with the human lie detector and Arthur Branch so viewers can vote on who the real killer is. Oh, my God. Okay, they start off by watching a clips from the TV show. And uh, here's a statement, by the way, that doesn't hold up so well. Very entertaining. Whatever happened to the Cosbys? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Clearly McCoy doesn't have a Discovery Plus subscription because he does not aware of the whole world of reality yeah. TV. Hey, I'll tell you what happened to the Cosbys. They all stopped getting their residuals in 2018. <laughs> no more reruns. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's this great sequence where Ruberosa has to do the scene for the show. And she pulls up in a taxi to do this interview. Uh, listen, can you arrive again? Arrive again. Drive around the block. And she really doesn't want to do it. Now, can you tell what you're going to be doing in there today? Tell who? The camera. Like, it's if you're talking to a friend. And Cutter calls her from across the street to twist the knife. What? You having fun? I am going to kill you, and then I'm going to kill McCoy. On camera? I don't don't care. I'd be better off in prison. Where are you? Uh, I'm in the courthouse. You almost here? Yes, uh uh-huh. Except first I have to tell my friend the camera what's going on. You don't really get scenes like this in Law & Order where you can laugh at the characters. They sometimes do funny things, and we chuckle at at the snarky remarks. But as far as, like, one one person doing something where the other one can laugh at them and we can laugh along. That's really doesn't happen a lot. I thought it was terribly enjoyable. I did, too. I thought that was cute. Arrive again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's choked on <laughs> I'll say it, it's so funny that Artie, like, they needed the excuse. I think that's the way Cutter would say it if he I could know. get her in bed. You I know? know. It's so funny <laughs> that, they, that they had the excuse that he had known her from college instead of just saying, like, you're gorgeous. Do you want to be in my reality show? Like, you, if you walked across her, like, in the street, you'd be like, you should be on my TV show, even if you didn't have a TV show. That's how good looking she is. So are you saying that Alana De La Garza is hands down the most beautiful person ever cast on Law & Order, and you have to say it because I'm thinking it, but I can't say it out loud? I think that is true. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Except maybe for... Um, 
Ed Green. Just going to say it. I don't know. Jesse L. Martin is up there, too, for me. I don't know, Tara. I think that she's just... <laughs> She is very pretty. I think Angie Harmon is very pretty, too. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Boy. Agreed. We can have a face-off face-off. <laughs> but to back up to what you said, to if he could get her in bed... Aren't they sleeping together? I thought they dropped hints through that season that they were totally fucking. Well, the hints were that Cutter, who has been spending the past year, previous season, sort of complaining about her to McCoy, that he is infatuated with her, but it's not reciprocated. Right. Or at least she is aware of it, but she hasn't said anything. She ignores it. Yeah, so it seems seems like in addition to, you know, the old uh, season-long cancer thing, that they might be reaching way back to try to get that McCoy Kincaid thing going again, but uh, it just looks like sexual harassment. I gotta say, yeah, exactly. We've actually watched episodes the two of them, and I'm like, that's sexual harassment. She's a lawyer; she knows it. She needs to report it. It's not cool. Isn't there one where he actually asks her out and she says no or something like that? I don't recall that, but there was an episode, and we did it where Cutter picked up on that one of the jurors was like really into obs- her. Into oh, her, and he made her be sexy for the juror. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, I remember that. That yeah. was sexual harassment. That was the thing that I was. That's talking not about. sexual harassment. That's prostitution. <laughs> I don't remember. It's been too long since I watched it, but I I swear I thought there was like enough subtext that we were supposed to think they were they were an an item. Hmm. But I, I, as I said, I can't cannot prove it might have been sub sub subtext. Yeah. Yeah. But that would be deleterious to their office work, wouldn't it? I mean, deleterious. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I just learned that word. No, I'm just kidding. I knew that word. To back up to um, Artie, though, I I wanted there to be a reveal because when he's like, don't you remember me from Swarthmore and drops all these details? And she's like, oh, yeah, in a way that sort of makes it seem like he was so forgettable. Yeah. I wanted there to be a reveal at the end to be like, oh, I never went to Swarthmore at all. Like he just found stuff out because he has ways because he's a reality TV producer and they can um, and that you know they didn't actually have that connection at all that was just how he got his foot in the door with her but it's it's fine enough that they actually did go to Swarthmore and she really didn't remember him as you know that works too I bet money that the reality show producer of the Octomom versus murdered wife dad guy is not in the Swarthmore alumni magazine featured <laughs> with like a picture and like a fancy bio of everything he's accomplished. He's probably their most like shameful graduate, right? Probably. <laughs> I mean, maybe in an earlier issue when he was like working for Ken Burns or something, like cutting his teeth as like the lowliest PA and now they're like, Artie who? <laughs> so I guess his idea was that the show was better with the dead wife? Or I should say, without the wife? Yeah. Or... Uh, so this, let's think about the timing, right? Yeah. They, apparently, this whole thing happens very fast. This show, the contract is signed, and then it's on TV, like, the next night. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, Before so, the funeral. Right. Like, there was just a, a reality show in real life. It was a cooking show, right? Where one the winner had been, it was accused of, like, murdering one of her kids or something. And, like, that season is never going to air. <laughs> like, it's oh. never going to happen. No, it aired. Oh, it oh, it did? Oh, I didn't know that it aired, but like, you know, the fact that they would go forward when she had been plunging to death with a fake Special Olympics trophy, like the day before, I don't know. I would think the network would have an issue with that. Am I alone in thinking that? Yes. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think so. Depends on the network. I mean, if we're talking about Spike, then... Maybe, I mean, right? there was also someone who was a VH1 person who who was a murdered. Yeah. 
someone. That's true. And I can't remember if the, that was before or after this, but the, <laughs> I think those got pulled too. Mm. I mean, it's it's it, but TV shows that are about reality TV love to fudge the timelines of this. Like if you watched Unreal, yes, mm-hmm. same thing yep. where it was like we were supposed to think that episodes were airing at the same time that Live. they were still filming on yeah. a Bachelor type show, which yeah. like would never happen. You have to like. You have to shape those storylines only when you know how they end. You can't be airing them like Big Brother style. So their trial strategy is uh, busted because the camera inadvertently picks up what's written on Connie's legal pad. Yes. Which read, bogus accountant, uh, sedition act, martial law, (laughs) my pillow. It's probably the only time she is going to be compared to the My Pillow guy in her entire life. It's the only yep. thing they have in common, right? But I have yeah. a, I have actually a question about that. Why would the loan shark leave the country? Because if he testified, he was going to get immunity for the crime he had actually committed. Like, why would he yeah, leave? He's, he's not a hitman. Why what's does in, he need to run out of the what's country? What's in it for him to not put this guy who owes him money who isn't going to pay him back in prison? Like, what's in well, it for him to leave? If Larry gets convicted, he doesn't do the show. If Larry does the show, he might get mm. his money back eventually. Oh. Good point. And a guy who was on trial for murdering his wife would definitely be allowed to continue being on that reality show. Well, especially when you hear he how is. they want to yeah, finish it off. <laughs> Off. You know, they're moving his family with the septo moms into the same mansion on Long Island, along with a human lie detector. You know, one of those guys who can tell if you're lying by the way you blink. The idea is to have both families compete for prizes and to figure out which head of household murdered Joy Johnson. The television audience gets to vote, and they've asked Arthur Branch to be the judge. You're kidding, right? There have been some pretty unrealistic things on the It was a Fred Thompson smackdown is what it was. You could, I mean, to me, it felt like they hated Fred Thompson. They had an opportunity to do something shitty with his character now that he was no longer on the show. And this is what they chose to do. He's a hack and he's going to be like a bad judge on a horrible reality show. That's my theory. That's what I like to think. I think it would have been funnier if they said it was Michael Moriarty as Ben Stone. (laughs) (laughs) Another lunatic. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Well, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode takes cues from the real-life story of Nadia Suleiman, otherwise known as the Octomum. Beginning at the age of 21, Suleiman had six children with her husband, all conceived in a vitro fertilization. After their divorce, 
she asked her doctor to transfer her remaining embryos at one time. She gave birth to two girls and six boys in January 2009, setting a world record for the most children delivered at birth to survive. When the octuplets made headlines, the public got their knickers in a proper twist. Many thought being a single mum to 14 children was dodgy thinking. There were protests outside of her new home. The day she brought home the seventh infant, someone tossed a baby seat through her minivan's window. When the octuplets were three months old, Suleiman announced she'd struck a deal to create a reality show with each child earning $250 a day. The TV networks wouldn't bite. She stirred up more controversy when she told in Touch magazine she hates babies and finds them disgusting. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> Over the years, the Optimum has filed for bankruptcy, worked as a stripper, appeared in a low-budget horror film, went to rehab and pleaded no contest to welfare fraud. But today, the Octuplets appear to be thriving. Reporters say the kids are living outside of Los Angeles and are happy, healthy and well-mannered. Okay, so it looked like that... Wait, wait. What reporters are checking on how well-mannered kids are? I just want to know, like, what's your what's your beat if you work in a newsroom and they're like, so, Kevin, today your assignment is to go find those octuplets and find out, are they well-mannered? Well, it was People <laughs> Magazine, I think, that... That did yeah, that. Yeah, People Magazine would let, for people, I think they get access to kids probably. <laughs> like, it's not like it's the National Enquirer. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like her plan was to maybe, ha- oh, no, it was. It was, she thought she was getting, there were like three or four embryos left. She didn't know there were 12 hmm. or however it was. And there were eight, you know, ended up being eight babies. But I feel like that maybe the, Doctors to blame? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you about this whole thing that's very troubling to me. Yeah. It's none of our fucking business what she decides to do with her body. I it's just really honest, true. I mean, honestly, I just, all the outrage about this made me so angry because then I'm like, all you people who say, get your hand, your your thought off my thoughts off my body, your ideas off my body. The same goes when you think someone is genuinely making a terrible decision. It is also yep. none of your fucking business. Yep. That's how I feel about the Nadia Suleiman case. And that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to have eight babies at any time or sequentially, but, you know, that was that was her choice. And unless she's coming to your house and asking you for money to look after them. It's none of your business. And the the crazy thing is that if she were doing it now, she wouldn't need a network to help her do this. Like she could just go on Instagram, you too, and get and monetize them that way. Yeah, and it'd be oh, yeah a lot yeah. easier, frankly. Exactly. Like, yeah, the whole the whole uh, way that people monetize their real life has changed so much since mm-hmm. this episode aired, and it's it's. I mean, it's only been like what twelve years? Not even. Yeah, eleven years. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the doctor uh, was disbarred. <laughs> you mean uh, disbarred or taken his medical license taken away? Oh, yeah, his medical license okay, taken away. Yeah, he's also a lawyer. I was confused there for no, a second. And, <laughs> and his lawyer was disbarred, and his mother was slapped in the face. All and right. Yeah, it was, it so was a- he committed malpractice by putting so many embryos in her and letting all of them grow. Is that the problem? Yes, yeah. that, that does seem dangerous. I'll be honest. None of my business. But it's Tara. I mean, I've never had eight kids at a time, but it seems like a lot. <laughs> Again, it would it would not be up to me, but I don't know how those conversations go where you say all of them are viable. What are you going to do? You know, I understand that normally someone says, OK, well, let's cull them. What if you don't want to? Right. Whose business is that? I mean, right. yeah. So again, the kids appear to be doing well. Yeah, they're they're uh, well mannered. Nadia has got a big Instagram following. Uh, as far as the news to her, 
Uh, they have a, a new addition to really? the family. Yeah? Boots, the uh, stray cat that they Ooh, found. There you go. Uh, I bet she's making more money off that cat than she is off of any of those kids. Just a guess. Well, they're not cute anymore, probably, so. <laughs> I'm sure they're still cute, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know they're what not, you mean. They're not infants. They're not monetizable. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think she can relate to anything that has a litter, right? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Canceled. <laughs> that is going to do it for us. want to thank our very special guest, Tara Ariano. Tara, where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, I am on Twitter at Tara Ariano, T-A-R-A-A-R-I-A-N-O, and I do have the Extra Hot Grade podcast, as you said, which I co-host with the aforementioned Sarah D. Bunting and David T. Cole. Sarah and I also host a podcast that is now about Melrose Place called Again With This. Mm. And um, my friend Pamela Ribbon and I just started a podcast about Sassy Magazine. Very in-depth, <laughs> deep dive on What is the name that. of that podcast? I am subscribing right now. It's called Listen to Sassy. Yeah. We are Listen to Sassy com on the web. We are Listen to Sassy on all of your po- your podcast platforms and at Listen to Sassy on Twitter and Instagram. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.